Welcome to Carrying Wayward, a supernatural podcast for fans who aren't ready to let go and newcomers to the series who are ready to jump in. I'm Drew Shulman. And I'm Marie Vigourou. In this episode, we're diving into Supernatural Season 7, Episode 20, The Girl with the Dungeons and Dragons Tattoo. Let's get this show on the road. Oh, this was such a good episode. Listen, the whole Carrying Wayward server was so excited for you to get there. <laughs> like, there were literally conversations in the channels that you're not allowed to go to, like, about how excited people were about this. So, yeah. <laughs> From Charlie as a character to how she becomes involved in the story to, like, the kind of pseudo-surprise ending of her having, like, other past mysteries and, like, setting her up to be a character who I know is returning, but in in that moment as a potential return character. Yeah, exactly. I feel like she is such a great executed character. Like, I really, like, I don't know if I'd rather them leaving the mystery or her permanently becoming, like, a third in their group kind of thing. Like, I could have gone either way. And, like, I, I just love Felicia Day. I think she is a phenomenal actor. Everything she does, I think, is wonderful. She has such a great energy about her on everything I've seen her in. So, like, super fun there. And then just, like, as, like, a nerdy, fun, like, someone falling into the supernatural world, like, I weirdly connect with her, kind of just being thrust into this world of supernatural and being like, yeah, we're on board, let's go. Yeah, it's a different take on, like, the fangirl, right? Like, we've seen Becky uh, and what the show thinks about the Beckys of this world. And this year, we're seeing something that's a little bit more celebratory of fandom, of fan ship i guess like to be a fan she's portrayed as like your your typical like nerdy fangirl of things but in like an incredibly positive light not as a fan of sam and dean per se i think it's really well done and great casting like you said i am now secretly hoping by the time they meet again she has read the books <laughs> i think that would be so funny you know, I think that that would be hilarious, and I really hope that that's what they do. <laughs> and, like, I think, for, for the listeners, it will show in my note-taking for this episode how I basically have just adopted her as, like, the third sister. Like, she's this, she's just a third sibling now. I've just, like, decided. She's little sis Winchester. I love that. She is the Leia to their Han Solo and um, Luke Skywalker, really. Luke Skywalker, yeah. It's Chewbacca. He's Chewbacca. It's oh. Sam. <laughs> Like, what are you talking about? Yeah, sure. Okay. All right. <laughs> That's how Dean hears the science talk. <laughs> <laughs> so get this. <laughs> uh-huh. 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 Drink beer. Oh, my God. Would you like to recap this episode for us, Drew? Please count me down. Right, three, two, one. <laughs> <laughs> we open with Charlie, this amazing new character portrayed by Felicia Day. We find out she's working for Dick Roman and she's kind of like this like white hat hacker, like taking advantage of like, you know, the liberal elite to like steal their money for good causes and like hack into their mainframes and like white hat hacker. Good, good, good guy hacker for those who don't know. Clearly Dick has an eye on her because she's so good at this and ha challenges her to hack into Frank's drive, who we're still presuming to be dead, but I have no proof of. But yeah, I'm guessing he's dead from the sounds of everything today. I think I have to live with that finally. 
she manages to get in. And rather than just being a like good little puppy and doing what her master says, she's like, no, I'm my own person. I'm rebellious. And she digs through this and learns about Leviathans and monsters and Sam and Dean and the end of the world and everything. And is like, cool, Sam and Dean found her. And she's like, yeah, I'm on your side. Fuck this. I don't want the world ending. I like people. She basically joins them. They send her off at an espionage mission to go in and steal more information and find out whatever it is that Dick has been digging up and what his plan is. And they get a final encounter. Bobby gets a few swings in, but luckily is pulled away. And while Charlie has to leave, we find out she might be coming back and has a mysteries of her own. And Sam and Dean have dealt a pretty heavy blow to Dick. Time. A pretty heavy blow to Dick. Okay. Yeah, no, I heard it when I said it. I was just like, damn it. I was just like, I heard that right, didn't I? Okay, all right. Mm -hmm. Not intentional, I promise. So let's move on immediately and talk about the fact that this episode was written by Robbie Thompson, directed by John McCarthy. This is his first one for Supernatural, and he's going to direct like one episode per season until about season 12, if I'm not mistaken. And finally, this episode originally aired on April 12th, 2012. John, first episode. Yeah, yeah, started with a banger. I am really excited to see what else he got lined up for us. Definitely. And thank you, Robbie Thompson, for creating Charlie. Oh, yes. You you deserve a medal for that alone. All right. So we get a lot of callbacks in the beginning of this episode. And like we discussed, like during the live watch, because this was one of those that we watched live with with patrons, with coffee supporters. It had been like quite some time since we'd really touched on like the Leviathan storyline. And so a lot of time has passed also in between episodes, like IRL, a lot more than what you and I have had because we're doing one episode a week. So there was like a need to remind viewers, particularly those who were just kind of like casually watching the show of like what had happened. Even like the road so far being very like Frank heavy, which I I was set up for, which was quite fun. I felt like it was a really good like, let's reframe where we are. We're kind of in like Dick's final moments of like Leviathan treachery. What's he planning? We get like an exposition dump from Bobby about like what he saw before he was taken from them. So we've really got like a, here are the Leviathans, here's what they've done, here's what they're doing. Remember Frank and his, all of his planning, and that's like our key start point. It was a really good like, let's pull us into like the final rush of the end of the season. We're reminded that Bobby, like before he died, he actually gave the brothers some coordinates where Dick Roman is building a human slaughterhouse. So, like, Dick's goal is to sedate the humans with, like, the gray goo that we saw in the Turducken Slammer to cure them of disease and then basically raise them for meat. A horrifying plan. That seems to be well underway, actually. There was a moment, too, where, um, I think it's Dean, is like, to Bobby, he's like, no, nah, we already solved that problem. And it's like, yeah, no, you solved, like, one burger. He's got every company under his belt now. So for those who needed it, and you clearly did, Drew, we got confirmation that Frank is dead. That before he died, he put a tracking device on a hard drive that had important information on it, and that, it turns out, is currently in Dick's possession. Reminder, all we have to confirm Frank's death is a message from Frank saying, yes, I'm dead. I believe he would lie about that. Even if we never see him again and he is presumed dead... I, I Until I see a body, he might be out there on an island with, you know, sipping a margarita in the beach. So you mean that, like, the man who mysteriously disappeared without a trace, who was hunted by creatures who eat human beings whole, and that at the scene of the crime, there was more blood than a human being can lose before dying, 
And the hard drive that he was protecting with his life is now in the possession of the creatures who eat humans who last saw him, who were running after him. And he then sends an email to them saying that he's dead. That's not enough for you. In this show? No. No, it's not. (laughs) The show has messed with me enough. Okay. Cool, cool, cool. I'm convinced we're never going to see him again. I'm convinced he is written out of the show. But like canonically in universe, him being alive or dead is what I'm still up for debate on. So this is actually how we do meet Charlie. Like she is tasked to like hack into this hard drive for Dick Roman because she works uh, at one of his companies. I kind of love the idea that like he calls her out for this and she like thinks she's being called into the, the you know the boss's office because she's in trouble. And he's like, oh, I know all the shady shit you're doing. I don't care. <laughs> like, I kind of love that. I think it's cute. <laughs> so we were saying during the live watch is there's a level of like his villainy where it's like he's lovable while being a bad guy. I found it to be so condescending, personally. I understand that, but I think the way I take it is more of the like, like almost he's so self-centered with his own goals and his own end goals that like something as petty as robbing the rich to like help charities doesn't phase his master plan. So why should he care? Like, it's one of those, like, I I am so evil and I am so like one track mind that like your petty evils don't even phase me. And like, even if I am aware of the illegal shit you're doing, you're more valuable to me than like, you know, locking you up for doing wrong things. Okay. So, I mean, illegal doesn't mean morally wrong and morally right doesn't mean legal. Just putting that out there. Like, let's just (laughs) say that. Um, But yes, I understand what you're saying. With the information that's on the hard drive that Charlie manages to get, uh, the brothers are able to locate a briefcase that allegedly contains something incredibly important, but that looks like a big rock. Yeah, that was very like, I think I said it during the live watch, don't let this be a a Pulp Fiction moment of just like open the briefcase and don't reveal the insides. And again, like, they sort of reveal that it's a big rock, but I'm just like, I I want to know. I'm so intrigued to know what this thing can be. It's clearly a MacGuffin. It's clearly some relic that contains some mythical power the Leviathans need for some reason. But like, I I want to know. I want that juicy lore. What do you think it is? I I feel like because we never saw the other side of it, it's going to have some sort of carvings on it and be like something like ancient text that is relevant in some way to doing something that they need to do to like stabilize Leviathans in some way to like, or some, something will make Leviathans unstoppable or protect them. Finally. That's all I can really think of. Like, otherwise, like unless there's something in the rock, we're not seeing. Maybe that would be very X-Files actually. (laughs) If there's something in the rock. (laughs) I'm even thinking like, just like, Oh, we found the thing you're looking for. And rather than finishing excavating, it will let you like ceremoniously break into it (laughs) and get the final thing. It's like, don't bring me the treasure, bring me the chest. I want to be the one to open it myself. Yes, exactly. Which seems very Dick Roman, like just pompous that I need to be the one to do this. Absolutely. It's like that, you know, with the the golden shovel, like, let me just pull, like, break the ground. (laughs) I bet you he has a golden, like, little pickaxe to do it with too, that rat. 100%. This is also the episode where Dean just like casually and confidently offers to help Charlie flirt with a man when she says that she doesn't like men. I'm shutting up now because I have so much to say in story time about this, but like, yes, just all the yes. Absolutely. And I also do want to mention that Charlie makes it out alive of this episode, which is pretty cool considering like this show's like tendency to just kill women gratuitously. I didn't even think about that at the time because of how much I was enjoying the episode, but like, I'm glad you brought it up because yes, 
we have a female character in a leading role surviving and seemingly going on to later return to the show from what I know. Like, wow. I know. I was just like, this is so great. I'm so happy. We get a hint that Charlie is a lot more mysterious than we think because she's not. she says that it's not the first time that she's disappeared and that Charlie Bradbury is not her real name. I, I'm assuming we're going to keep calling her Charlie throughout and Bradbury is likely the part that will drop kind of thing and we'll just she'll just be Charlie going forward. But like, again, as I said during the live watch, this has Bella vibes where it's like there's more to her. I want to learn more and I'm hoping it's not a matter of we learn Charlie's backstory, death. Now we've hinted at the fact that Ghost Bobby, I've been like holding this back because I, I don't like talking about it, but uh, we've hinted at Ghost Bobby's arc and what happens to ghosts like when they stay too long on Earth after their death, basically, and how each one has like a different rate of speed at which they become vengeful. Well, it looks like Bobby's getting pretty vengeful pretty fast. Uh, he put the flask in Charlie's bag when she goes to retrieve the information from the drive and he attacks Dick Roman. Oh, again, like for those who were there watching this with me, like I was cheering for Bobby to smack him up. Like, I know this kind of is like a like once you go down this road, there's no coming back. I feel like we don't really see much of Bobby post his attacking dick this episode, too. So I kind of don't know where Bobby is at now that he's had a moment to fight dick and then been able to retreat or be forcibly retreated by the flask being taken away. So I'm I'm very intrigued to see how bobby is like there's the part of me that's a yeah like i'm afraid that's what exactly yeah sorry continue well the episode does end with the brothers wondering what they're gonna do next with regards to that and just like ghost bobby in the backseat like so we don't know we don't know it ends with a big question but we are worried at least i am uh, we all are. <laughs> we all are when you were cheering for bobby to attack dick everybody in the chat was kind of like Drew, I don't think you really want him to do that. <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's funny how I think there was a moment like when we first got Ghost Bobby where I was very like, oh no, like even to see him get frustrated at the boys, like I'm worried he's already turning to like the dark side of being a ghost. But then when I'm like, mm, but Dick deserves this kick in the nuts. Uh, yeah, no, I, I, I definitely looking back, I'm like, oh yeah, no, there's definitely the bad part of this happening, but yes. This week, our theme is courage, and this theme was actually suggested by patron Meryl, who was at the live watch with us, and when we heard it, we were both like, oh, yeah, and everyone in the chat basically agreed, so we didn't really, we didn't really, I didn't look any further, and I was like, yes, courage it is. So thank you, Meryl, for this lovely suggestion. I think it works really well. Uh, so courage comes from Latin, and it means heart, very simply. And as we know, hearts mean stuff on Supernatural. <laughs> I swear, one day I'm going to write a paper about hearts in this show, like one day. But I think that in this case, like, we can think of the heart as the center for emotion and courage as the bravery that it takes to remain true to what is in one's heart, basically. So of course, like, we get a very clear example of that in Charlie this episode, but I do think that we see it also in the brothers. For sure. This was very much one of those themes, where, like, when it was pitched, it was like, oh, yeah, that makes perfect sense for Charlie. And then I'm like, and I'm sure I'll think of things to write for... Nope, never mind. I have my Sam and Dean script ready to go. Like, it, was, it clicked immediately, because it does work really well. Hearts mean stuff. Absolutely. <laughs> we should make that into a t-shirt. <laughs> 
So do you want to get us started with Sam? Yeah, Sam has been fairly, like, in a rough place recently. Like, he's in a very fragile men- mental state. You know, he's lost so much. The idea of trusting someone, even connecting with someone like he does with Charlie in such a huge and courageous step for him. You know, he doesn't just treat her like some kind of, like, innocent to be saved, but, like, he treats her the way he might treat, like, a new hunter he's taking under his wing. Truly a Robin to his Batman. Oh, <laughs> that's so sweet. <laughs> I was actually thinking about that. And like the last new person, because I'm not really counting Bobby and like uh, Dean or even like Cass in this, but like the last new person that we saw Sam connecting with was Marin. And in that situation, like she was more relying on him than he was relying on her, right? Um, Before that, it was Amy who Dean murdered. And before that, we're talking like Ruby, I mean, I'm sure that I'm forgetting some folks in there, some characters, but like you get what I mean, right? Like for Sam, connecting with new people isn't necessarily something that ends well for him or for them. So I totally agree with you. I think that the last time that Sam relied on somebody new, it was Ruby. So it was like super courageous of him to like offer up his trust to this person that he'd just met, like in, in for Charlie, right? And it does pay off, luckily. Because she manages to do what she needs to do, and everyone is able to walk away from the episode, albeit not entirely unharmed. Now that you say it too, Sam has had a pretty like shit streak of like trusting people. Like you're giving your list, and I'm like, oh yeah. Like even Amy, who he like learned to trust at the end, it was very much like iffy the whole way. And then I'm thinking, like, is there anyone else? Oh yeah, there's Meg. Oh, right, there's Meg. <laughs> I think it is very like wholesome of how he was able to bond with her and like, sure, there might be some level of like, this is our only chance, but it still seems to come in a way where like, it it truly feels like there is a level of connection there versus just a, you are a tool to complete this task. It's like, you are joining our inner sanctum. I agree. And I feel like it's slightly understated in this episode, but like Sam and Dean's relationship seems to be getting stronger too and healthier and allowing them to communicate better. Like, In this case, sadly, it's on the subject of what to do with Bobby, but they are able to both kind of connect at a moment there and, like, speak the thing you don't want to say. Like, again, like, overcoming the fear of, like, Bobby kind of went out of, like, hand here, and we now have to deal with the ghost of our father figure who might be at the end of his line already. What do we do? And for two guys who are really bad about communicating having the strength and courage to say that to each other and like come to terms with like there needs to be some action coming up and what that is. I don't know. And how it happens. I don't know. And I don't want to know, but it's coming sadly and good for them for having the ability to see it. If I can really focus on Sam, like in this part of the interaction, we were just talking last week, or I think maybe two weeks ago about how Sam like just didn't really want to reopen the possibility of ghost Bobby because he didn't want to like, not trust his own senses and his like mind with the Lucifer in his head situation. So for him to like find the courage to openly talk to Dean about what they're going to do with Ghost Bobby now that he's like becoming vengeful, I think is really, really huge. We can tell in the conversation that Sam doesn't know what they're supposed to do. Like he has no certainty about this, which is like in and of itself, like distressing enough. But again, like remembering that Sam needed certainty about so many things about like the real or not real. I can't imagine that you would just walk away from having Lucifer in your head, you know, like this must be doubly upsetting for Sam to be dealing with this uncertainty at this time. 
So for him to, again, openly hint at the fact that he doesn't know what to do, I think is really courageous. Like to rely on his brother, to rely on Dean, to help him talk, talk it through, I think given the circumstances is like a show of courage, a show of heart. Courage isn't necessarily just the like the doing the right thing. It's also realizing how hard the right thing can be to do sometimes. And I think just broaching that subject like is already a step in courage. And then being able to be open about that fear with someone you trust is also courageous. I think this is a huge step for Sam, both in his like emotional journey, which has been something so interesting to watch over these last two scenes for the most part. You know, from go going from soulless, having a soul back and then dealing with Lucifer and just everything in between. He has had so much dumped on him that to see that he can continue to have emotional growth and like heal in his own way is amazing and courageous. I feel like between Sam and Dean, if we can move to Dean now, you know, Sam is the one who is more connected with Charlie. However, even he seems to be connecting with her in taking her seriously. Like it's, it's, it's again, it's very, there, there's a weirdness to Dean just sort of accepting somebody so much. Cause again, like we talked with Sam, there's a level of like distrust and always kind of questioning things and a fear of like roping people into this world. But he kind of, again, just accepts Charlie and, like, takes her so seriously and treats her like an equal. Dean can clearly put up his walls, but he shows a level of courage here in opening his inner circle up enough to let Charlie join them. Because he sees both her, like, her courage and her strength to go forth with this and her willingness to join and help them despite having no real, like, I mean, yes, humanity's, you know, at risk. But she has no personal, like, specific to her horse in this race. In this episode, like, you do get Sam and Charlie bonding over the nerd stuff a lot. And maybe, like, if Charlie comes back, that dynamic might change a little bit and give more space to Dean. But yeah, you're totally right. Like, it was really courageous of Dean also to open up to Charlie. Sam very much, like, there's that, that nerdy connection that's made very clearly between the two of them uh, when he gives the, um, the Star Wars speech there. Which, again, like, also just very, very adorable and I kind of love. Uh, and it, 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 like, builds a bridge between the two of them so clearly. And it would be, like, really cool if there was some sort of bridge that you could build between Dean and Charlie. <laughs> unrelated completely. We obviously need to discuss, like, the, the crowning achievement of Dean in this episode. And it's his openness in coaching Charlie through that flirting with a man moment. Like, I'm not even breaching the, like, potential debates what this was. This was 100% fully a man with experience flirting with men, sharing that experience with someone who needs it. And this is a huge moment for Dean. And we even see, like, Sam's reaction to it. It doesn't come across as, like, surprise per se, but just, like, in awe that he's open about, like, doing this in front of somebody else. Like, I, I just think it was such a magical moment that, like, Sam recognizing what Dean was doing and, like seeing his brother open up this way and then Dean being courageous enough to not just do it, but like share that with a stranger for the greater good. I like as much as it's an amazing moment. I think we all had a great laugh watching because it's just such a good, like heartwarming, like yes moment for queer Dean, but it is an incredible moment for Dean as a courageous human. I think that we really do need to talk about courage and heart in this context, because like if courage is the bravery to stay true to your heart, then Dean Openly offering to share his knowledge about flirting with men is also an act of courage, like a way to stay true to who he is. And this is why 
and I'll go into this more in critical time, but I'm not completely unconvinced that Dean isn't actually out as a queer person in universe. I'm so excited for critical time. What about Charlie? Let's discuss our secret little little sister Winchester. <laughs> Courage is incredibly central to her arc in this one episode we get of her so far. First, she's faced with the challenge from Dick and allows herself to at first snoop, but ultimately see what evil lurks beneath the surface and immediately decides to fight for the side of good. Like this is chaotic good if ever there was in a character chart. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> so true. <laughs> I feel like in any other show, when you have this character in this scenario, the next trope is like a big speech or a call to action where like she's convinced that she has to take up arms against evil. But no, she is just 100% brave and true of heart and sees what needs to be done and takes up arms where it needs to be. Like, just bless. Something that I find really interesting in this particular episode is that Charlie is very inspired by, like, pop culture heroines, right? Like, she wears a Leia t-shirt, she has a Hermione figurine that she talks to on her desk, she has, like, an Arwen screensaver, and I would also argue that when she says, like, I volunteer, it's a reference to Katniss in The Hunger Games, uh, because the movie came out after this episode, but the book... Like, the first book had been out since 2008. So, like, I think that this really speaks to, like, how, where, and, like, in who we find our own courage. Like, who inspires us to stay true to our values and how heroes and heroines can often do that for us. Like, which is in part why representation is so important in media. Yes, 100%. I so on board with this. I love, I think during the live watch, too, we had mentioned the, like, I volunteer line likely not being Hunger Games. And I didn't even think, like, oh, yeah, it's a book first. Like, the books could be out. Her little bits of connection with all these, like, female, like, he courageous, heroic characters to me is, like, it's very good visual storytelling in the, like, what kind of person she wants to be and who she truly is. And I love that. Courage on a very, like, fundamental, raw, and, like, blunt level is the fact that, like, with no training, with no, like, crazy, like, spy movie montage alerting and getting ready, it, it is literally just your, your backpack, by accident a flask with a ghost in it, and just, you're gonna go in there, you're gonna, for the first time ever, go in there and, like, play this character who you aren't really, and, like, lie your way through to, like, sneak into the office of your boss who you now know is not just some rich, powerful douchebag, but also a super evil secret monster. And, like, again, I think the fact that, like, she is nervous about it, like, there's parts of her where she, like, there's the pump-up speech, there's, like, the, you see the way she clenches her fist, she's not ready for this. But she does it anyways, because she knows she can and she believes in herself and they believe in her. Yeah, so like the show had to first depict like what's in her heart, so to speak, right? So we find out that like she quote unquote steals from the rich to give to the poor, very Robin Hood of her. And then the show uh, has to basically place her in a situation where she has a big decision to make and she decides to stay true to those values that she has and that we've established, right? She also chooses to stay true to who she is when she tells Dean that she doesn't know how to flirt with men because she could have easily just like BS her way through, but she doesn't. She's like, well, no, this isn't who I am. 
And I would also posit that by telling Dean that she dates girls, she's inspiring Dean, like she's helping him to find the courage to openly say that he can help her flirt with a man. Like she becomes his inspiration to find this courage. She becomes like his representation, his queer rep, right? There's a little bit of like a Sam and Frodo thing going there where it's like each one inspiring the other through their own levels of strength and helping them pick up where they are like lacking in something. So I kind of just love the idea of like her courage to stand true and like be openly queer allows Dean to show that same courage in that moment. Oh, I love that. And I think it's important too. Like I think so often we think of courage is like, especially in like stories and on screen, it's like just no fear. I can do this. I believe in myself. Like it's just, it's like, it's what you kind of like, it's overly depicted. But I think there is a level of like courage is actually the ability to like move forward and press on despite the things that like warn you not to. You know, the it, it, courage isn't just the I have no fear. It's the I know there's fear to be had, but I'm choosing to face that fear because I know the outcome is worth it. And I think Charlie depicts that so well in a true level of courage. You know, to be honest with you, when I think about courage, I always think about the way that Dr. Taylor Allison Swift like talks about her album, Fearless. She says, to me, fearless is not the absence of fear. It's not being completely unafraid. To me, fearless is having fears. Fearless is having doubts, lots of them. To me, fearless is living in spite of those things that scare you to death. And then she says a bunch of other things, like the quote is pretty long. But then at the end, she adds, I think love is fearless. Taylor Swift, you are magic. And this is the perfect way to wrap up Charlie because this is amazing. Hail and well met, weary traveler. What brings thee into my humble shop? I... You wish to know the whereabouts of the young princess? These secrets I know, but dare not speaketh, for I'm sworn by honor and duty to the great King Oberon to let none know the Fae's secrets. If thee truly wish to know these preciously guarded truths, thou must first aid me with a small quest. For my works I require the eyes of a toad found only in the darkest caves of the swamp, the tale of a rat who has known only affection and love. And lastly, the heart of an orc bested in ritual combat. If he can procure these three items... Wait, what are you doing? H holy crap, is that a gun? That's not period accurate. Okay, fine. Dude, yeah, I know her. She works at the tech startup down the street. Get the rental office space. Yeah, I don't, I don't know what floor. Yeah, but it, it's there. It's, I promise. Jeez. Yeah, get out of here, you jerk. Can't a guy just have a normal day giving a quest at the rent fair? God! So I mentioned earlier the possibility that even in-universe, like in the supernatural universe, like Dean could be openly queer. Kind of like you with your friend could still be alive. Like, sure, I'll, <laughs> I'll give that to you. I'll give that to you if you entertain my thoughts. 
I think yours is more likely than mine. Sorry. I mean, I think so. In no way do I say that, like, there is zero possibility for Frank to still be alive in universe. So there you go. I'll give that to you. Follow me (laughs) on my thought experiment here. So as most of you know by now, you certainly know, Drew, I've been watching a lot of X-Files in the last three months. Like I started listening to Chris and Jeremy's new podcast, Non-Human Biologics, like which covers X-Files. And originally, like my goal was to watch one episode at a time and then to listen to the podcast episode, which I did for the first couple of weeks. And then it got like really good. And I binged the entire series and I watched both movies. And then I rewatched everything. And I'm currently completing my third rewatch. And I'm not even ashamed. I don't even care. (laughs) I don't even care. Judge me all you want. I don't care. I am who I am. I'm proud more than anything else. Thank you. Thank you very much. The reason why I mentioned this is that like rewatching the show, like either The X-Files or Supernatural, basically allows me to notice things that I hadn't noticed before because I just didn't have the full context of the completed story before. And so in my rewatch of The X-Files, one thing that I've really focused on is Mulder and Scully's relationship. And I'm not going to spoil anything, so if you're watching along with non-human biologics, you're safe. But like to use your your words, true. I think that most people, like through cultural osmosis, know that Mulder and Scully are a very influ- influential ship or couple in fandom at large. So, like, I, I'm not saying anything new f- with that, but also nothing above that, right? Something that I'm noticing in my rewatches is how much of that relationship actually happens off screen or like in the fanfic gaps, if you'll allow me to use that. I'm not going to say too much, but like there is stuff that happens on screen that would only happen this way if stuff had happened off screen before then. Now, I've heard many folks say that Supernatural and the X-Files share a lot of DNA, and that is so incredibly true. So if we apply this like on-screen, off-screen narrative device to Dean, then it's not out of the realm of possibility that Dean is openly queer, since like he does things on screen that can only be explained by him being out. And I'm thinking about, like, the end of the world speech, for example. I'm also thinking about him, like, name-dropping a gay bar, which hasn't happened yet. And, like, about offering to help a lesbian flirt with a man. I think it's so important to, like, see that when you, like, watch a show like this, like, even watching The X-Files now, like, I agree with you. There's a lot of things where it's, like, you, you don't always realize how much time is not being shown to you on screen. Like, it feels like... Even in Supernatural, it could feel like, oh, this is just like the next day for them. But realistically, they've probably been on the road for a week or even a month between two of these cases. Like, we don't know. There are sometimes hints dropped here and there or even like blatant dates, but we don't have all that info. Same thing for Mulder and Scully. I'm convinced these aren't day-to-day cases that would drive you nuts after a while. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. (laughs) They would drive each other nuts, frankly. I think it's a very logical like conclusion to draw from this. And especially as you, I'm curious to know when he drops the gay bar name, but like more so to see how it is handled in the moment when he does. I'll be intrigued. I think to me, what says that he is out in the world is that the people around him never act surprised. It is never a surprise. Like the way that Sam reacts to Dean, like flagging is just like, oh yeah. Like it's so casual. And I love that. I just, I love that. I love that.
This week, we have a message from Anna Dolou. Before we listen to it, we want to remind you to send us a three-minute voicemail. To respond to anything we discussed today, you can use the recording app on your phone and just email us the recording at carryingwigward at gmail.com. We also want to remind you that Drew and I are going to be answering the question, what kind of character would you play in a tabletop RPG? Friends, please try to guess who asked that question. For our Roadhouse supporters on our Impala Talk, stay to the very end of this episode to hear a short clip. Andalou writes, Hello, Drew and Mary. I wanted to start this with just thank you. Your show is the reason I've been able to rewatch Supernatural after the finale. You gave me back something I'd enjoyed for years and years. So thank you for that. Your show is absolutely amazing, and I truly enjoy the way you take apart and dissect the show with so much love and understanding. Now, I want to touch on something that is rarely mentioned when talking about misrepresentation of minorities in Supernatural, mainly because there is so little of us in the show, and that is the representation of Muslims in Supernatural. Obviously, misrepresentation of Muslims on TV is nothing new, and shows like Arrow, also on the CW, have done much worse. I blame the flawed source material, but I digress. I specifically want to talk about the Jin. I'm prefacing this by saying I'm going by what I know and what I've learned over the years, being a practicing Muslim and very into mythology, in general, and I'm just sure there's others with different insights. I just wanted to share mine. The whole wish-fulfilling entity in a bottle is a way older myth and not rooted in Islam itself. In Islam, jinn are beings like you and me. They eat, they sleep, they pray. They're good ones, they're bad ones. They live on the earth among us, but we cannot see them, even though they can see us. The only fundamental difference is jinn are being created out of fire, whilst humans were created out of earth. Clearly, the jinn and supernatural are more rooted in the pre-Islamic mythological figures, but I still want to share this since they do mention the Quran in What Is and Never Should Be. The only Muslim character we ever get in the show is an unnamed man praying who immediately gets corrupted by the big bad of the season, which doesn't sit right with me. I know it's a whole sequence of people being corrupted, but I just want to say, again, that this is the only Muslim to ever appear in the show. If the man and supporting cast was more diverse, I doubt this would even be a blip on anyone's radar. But as it stands, it leaves me with a bad taste in my mouth. With how little Muslims appear on Supernatural, this can be hand-waved away, but it did bother me, and I wanted to share those thoughts with both of you. I just wanted to share this tidbit of information with y'all, and thank you for the truly amazing podcast you've put out there. I've been following along since the beginning, and I've enjoyed every second of it. I hope you both have a nice day or night with love, Andalou. Ah, no, my goodness. Thank you so much for this lovely message, and... I mean, I don't even know what else to add here. I think you've said it all when you said that, like, there are so few Muslims in Supernatural that it is just so easy to to hand wave away the the stuff that we do see as like, oh, well, whatever. You know, we've had a lot of conversations through you and I about, like, the way that Black people are represented, the way that women are represented, the way that queer people are represented on Supernatural. But one thing that, like, we didn't we're basically not able to talk about because there's just so little is Islamophobia. Like we can't talk about it or we can, but like, where are we going to get it? Because there's no material to talk about. There's no material to go through to dissect. And so Anna, thank you so much for like bringing this up to our attention because I do want to mention that like, 
there are a lot of forms and a lot of shapes that discrimination can take. And erasure is one of those, right? Like we've talked about it when it comes to like black characters, we said, and, and that holds here that like when you only have like a few, then like the representation of these few characters is going to matter a whole lot more than like if they're just a part of your storytelling. So in this case, I think that you're absolutely right to, to, to bring that up, to say, first of all, that like, you know, they, they kind of mix up pre-Islamic uh, mythological figures with like Islamic stuff. So thank you for bringing that up, for letting us know about it. Thank you. I loved this. This was so nice to hear. One, because I love the mythology side of the jinn. I love hearing about this and learning more. There's so little to discuss on that subject of Islamophobia because they don't even give us a platform on which to like have an idea to discuss. Literally, they just don't exist in this universe for all intent and purpose. Like, uh, like I'll be completely honest. You mentioned in that message that there is a case of a Muslim man praying being possessed by a big bad. I don't know if that's happened in this series already, and I just don't remember it happening, or if it hasn't happened yet. It hasn't happened yet. Even if it had, it's like people of color in most other parts of the show are so absent. Like, yes, there's a few here and there, but like at least we can call one or two examples and anyone of the Islamic faith is just not present. Like, I can't even think of like, a like seeing a mosque in a town they've driven through. Like, just it's not a thing. I think that's really unfair that so many people are just discounted in this way by shows and media, like Supernatural, of course, being uh, the example we're using here. But it also translates to like, I really like Miss Marvel on Disney Plus. I, I thought it was good and it put Muslim characters in a positive and a very forward facing, positive, like, good role. But just through my own lack of education, I don't know if it was done just I just it, it was nice it, it was good they made it seem wholesome but like I would love to ask someone who is actually Muslim who's watched that show to give me like was it accurate or was it like Disneyified and like painted poorly and I think that's a problem with media is that there are so many cultures that are just not explored or when they are explored we have no way to know if it's valid or not like I hope it is but I don't know so, like, yeah, it sucks that Supernatural basically erases, like, an entire people because they just don't want to include them. And the thing is, like, we're talking about Supernatural here, but if we take a step back and look at other pieces of storytelling, and I'm, I'm focusing really on, like, Western, quote-unquote, storytelling and um, TV shows, but, you know, I think Anna in, in her message mentions that, like, you know, other shows have done worse. And yes, absolutely. Like, there are definitely shows that don't, erase Muslim folks, but they just show them in a really terrible light. And that's, you know, another form of discrimination and Islamophobia. And unfortunately, this is what, again, I'm using big air quotes for simplification, but like the West is, is exposed to in terms of dehumanizing Muslim characters in storytelling. I love using media as a way to learn about other cultures and if we're not going to let other cultures be in our shows, it makes it a lot harder. Do you have a reflection and call to action for us this week, Drew? Charlie, this week really clicked with me, and it was in a really weird moment, but it was um, the connection she had with Dick 
in the episode when he pulls her into the office and sort of like explains that he understands her value and like again it's obviously done in a very negative evil way but as someone who's actively job hunting and kind of getting that level of like desperation where i'm like a job offer comes up and i'm like sure i'll do it and like don't even care to make sure that they like will respect my time and my like life and who i am as a human and value me it's a good reminder that like you know what i have value as a person and i need to look out for myself and i can't just take the first job I find because it'll do that. I can take the time and like, you know, make sure I'm getting what I need out of it as well. Definitely. And you, Mary, any thoughts or calls to action this week? Well, one thing that I noticed this time when I was watching this episode is like the moment where Charlie is voicing to Dean that she likes girls and how that could be in part what gives him the courage to show a part of his heart that he doesn't necessarily always show to everybody or to anybody. And I feel called to think of like how this kind of courage is transmissible to others, like in this case, and particularly like how I can model that kind of behavior. So just be as openly gay as possible and flaunt it? Absolutely. Be gay, do crime. You've been listening to Carrying Wayward, a supernatural podcast produced by Rochelle Castellano, hosted by Drew Shulman and myself, Marie Vigourou. Thank you to everyone supporting us on Coffee or Patreon, and an extra thank you to our Bunker supporters, Elle, Jeremiah Thomas, and Simone. This week, we'd like to thank Anna for the message. You can go to carryingwayward.com for the links to our merch store and all of our socials. If you'd like to support us, you can become a patron or a Coffee subscriber. You can also leave us a rating on Spotify and a review on Apple Podcasts. Carry on our wayward friends. Okay, but I have a question. <laughs> and I have a question, I should say. So like you decide, how much freedom do you have to decide this? So for example, like I'm starting off, I've never played this before. Like, are there rules against me saying like, I'm an all-powerful wizard? Yeah, so your power level is sort of where your your only limiter comes in. I think the fun thing is with a good dungeon master or games master, they're going to let you kind of within reason kind of build whatever kind of backstory and lore you want. And generally the best part of that is it just gives them more fuel to write stories that will better affect your character in some way. 